Hello, this is Jeff Barnum reading the Supreme Court Opinion Syllabus in National Pork Producers Council et al. versus Ross, Secretary of the California Department of Food and Agriculture et al. Certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Argued October 11th, 2022. Decided May 11th, 2023. This case involves a challenge to a California law known as Proposition 12, which, as relevant here, forbids the in-state sale of whole pork meat that comes from breeding pigs or their immediate offspring that are confined in a cruel manner. California Health and Safety Code Annotated, Section 25990, Subparagraph B2. Confinement is cruel if it prevents a pig from lying down, standing up, fully extending its limbs, or turning around freely. Section 25991, subparagraph E1. Prior to the vote on Proposition 12, proponents suggested the law would benefit animal welfare and consumer health, and opponents claimed that existing farming practices did better than Proposition 12 protecting animal welfare, for example, by preventing pig-on-pig aggression, and ensuring consumer health by avoiding contamination. Shortly after Proposition 12's adoption, two organizations, the National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation, petitioners here, filed this lawsuit on behalf of their members who raise and process pigs, alleging that Proposition 12 violates the United States Constitution by impermissibly burdening interstate commerce. Petitioners estimated that the cost of compliance with Proposition 12 will increase production costs and will fall on both California and out-of-state producers. But because California imports almost all of the pork it consumes, most of Proposition 12's compliance costs will be borne by out-of-state firms. The district court held that petitioners' complaint failed to state a claim as a matter of law, and dismissed the case. The Ninth Circuit affirmed. Held. The judgment of the Ninth Circuit is affirmed. Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court, except as to parts 4b, 4c, and 4d, rejecting petitioner's theories that would place Proposition 12 in violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause even though petitioners do not allege the law purposefully discriminates against out-of-state economic interests. The Constitution vests Congress with the power to regulate commerce among the several states. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3. Although Congress may seek to exercise this power to regulate the interstate trade of pork, and many pork producers have urged Congress to do so, Congress has yet to adopt any statute that might displace Proposition 12 or laws regulating port production in other states. Petitioners' litigation theory thus rests on the Dormant Commerce Clause theory, pursuant to which the Commerce Clause not only vests Congress with the power to regulate interstate trade, but also contains a further negative command one effectively forbidding the enforcement of certain state economic regulations, even when Congress has failed to legislate on the subject. This court has held 
that state laws offend this dormant aspect of the Commerce Clause when they seek to build up domestic commerce through burdens upon the industry and business of other states. At the same time, though, the court has reiterated that absent purposeful discrimination, a state may exclude from its territory or prohibit the sale therein of any articles which, in its judgment fairly exercised, are prejudicial to the interests of its citizens. The anti-discrimination principle lies at the very core of the court's dormant Commerce Clause jurisprudence. This court has said that the Commerce Clause prohibits the enforcement of state laws driven by economic protectionism, that is, regulatory measures designed to benefit in-state economic interests by burdening out-of-state competitors. Petitioners here disavow any discrimination-based claim, conceding that Proposition 12 imposes the same burdens on in-state pork producers that it imposes on out-of-state pork producers. Given petitioners' concession that Proposition 12 does not implicate the anti-discrimination principle, petitioners first invoke what they call the extraterritoriality doctrine. They contend that the court's dormant Commerce Clause cases suggest an additional and almost per se rule that forbidding enforcement of state laws that have the practical effect of controlling commerce outside the state, even when those laws do not purposely discriminate against out-of-state interests. Petitioners further insist that Proposition 12 offends this almost per se rule because the law will impose substantial new costs on out-of-state pork producers who wish to sell their products in California. Petitioners contend the rule they propose follows ineluctably from three cases. Healy v. Beer Institute, Brown-Vorman Distillers Corp. v. New York State Liquor Authority, and Baldwin v. GAF League. But a close look at those cases reveals that each typifies the familiar concern with preventing purposeful discrimination against out-of-state economic interests. In Baldwin, a New York law that barred out-of-state dairy farmers from selling their milk in the state for less than the minimum price New York law guaranteed in-state producers plainly discriminated against out-of-staters by erecting an economic barrier protecting a major local industry against competition from without the state. In Brown-Forman, a New York law that required liquor distillers to affirm that their in-state prices were no higher than their out-of-state prices impermissibly sought to force out-of-state distillers to surrender whatever cost advantages they enjoyed against their in-state rivals, which amounted to economic protectionism. The court reached a similar conclusion in Healy, which involved a Connecticut law that required out-of-state beer merchants to affirm that their in-state prices were no higher than those they charged in neighboring states. As the court later explained, the essential vice in laws, like Connecticut's, is that they hoard commerce for the benefit of in-state merchants and discourage consumers from crossing state lines to make their purchases from nearby out-of-state vendors. Petitioners insist that Baldwin, Brown Foreman and Healy, taken together, suggest an almost per se rule against state laws with extraterritorial effects. While petitioners point to language in these cases pertaining to the practical effect of the challenged laws on out-of-state commerce and prices, 
the language of an opinion is not always to be parsed as though we were dealing with the language of a statute. The language highlighted by petitioners in Baldwin, Brown Foreman, and Healy appeared in a particular context and did particular work. A close look at those cases reveals nothing like the almost per se rule against laws that have the practical effect of controlling extraterritorial commerce that petitioners posit, and indeed, petitioners' reading would cast a shadow over laws long understood to represent valid exercises of the state's constitutionally reserved powers. Baldwin, Brown Foreman, and Healy did not mean to do so much. In rejecting petitioners' almost per se theory, the court does not mean to trivialize the role territory and sovereign boundaries play in the federal system. The Constitution takes great care to provide rules for fixing and changing state borders. That's Article 4, Section 3, Clause 1. Courts must sometimes referee disputes about where one state's authority ends and another begins, both inside and outside the commercial context. Indeed, the anti-discrimination principle found in the court's dormant Commerce Clause cases may well represent one more effort to mediate competing claims of sovereign authority under our horizontal separation of powers. But none of this means, as petitioners suppose, that any question about the ability of a state to project its power extraterritorially must yield to an almost per se rule under the Dormant Commerce Clause. This court has never before claimed so much ground for judicial supremacy under the banner of the Dormant Commerce Clause. Petitioners' next point to Pike v. Bruce Church which they assert requires a court to at least assess the burden imposed on interstate commerce by a state law and prevent its enforcement if the law's burdens are clearly excessive in relation to the putative local benefits. Petitioners provide a litany of reasons why they believe the benefits Proposition 12 secures for Californians do not outweigh the cost it imposes on out-of-state economic interests. Petitioners overstate the extent to which Pike and its progeny depart from the anti-discrimination rule that lies at the core of the court's dormant Commerce Clause jurisprudence. As this court has previously explained, no clear line separates the Pike line of cases from core anti-discrimination precedents. If some cases focus on whether a state law discriminates on its face, the Pike line serves as an important reminder that a law's practical effects may also disclose the presence of a discriminatory purpose. Pike itself concerned an Arizona order requiring cantaloupes grown in-state to be processed and packed in-state. The court held that Arizona's order violated the Dormant Commerce Clause, stressing that even if the order could be fairly characterized as facially neutral, it required business operations to be performed in-state that could be more efficiently performed elsewhere. The practical effects of the order in operation thus revealed a discriminatory purpose, an effort to insulate in-state processing and packaging businesses from out-of-state competition. While this court has left the courtroom door open to challenges premised on even non-discriminatory burdens, 
And while a small number of our cases have invalidated state laws that appear to have been genuinely non-discriminatory, petitioners' claim about Proposition 12 falls well outside Pike's heartland. The framers equipped Congress with considerable power to regulate interstate commerce and preempt contrary state laws. It's the United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3, and Article 4, Clause 2. While this court has inferred an additional judicially enforceable rule against certain state laws adopted even against the backdrop of congressional silence, the court's cases also suggest extreme caution is warranted in its exercise. Disavowing reliance on this court's core Dormant Commerce Clause teachings focused on discriminatory state legislation, petitioners invite the court to endorse new theories of implied judicial power. They would have the court recognize an almost per se rule against the enforcement of state laws that have extraterritorial effects, even though it has long recognized that virtually all state laws create ripple effects beyond their borders. Alternatively, they would have the court prevent a state from regulating the sale of an ordinary consumer good within its own borders, on non-discriminatory terms, even though the Pike line of cases they invoke has never before yielded such a result. Like the courts that face this case below, this court declines both incautious invitations. Justice Gorsuch, joined by Justice Thomas and Justice Barrett, concluded in Part 4b that, accepting petitioners' allegations, the Pike balancing task that they propose in this case is one no court is equipped to undertake. Some out-of-state producers who choose to comply with Proposition 12 may incur new costs, while the law serves moral and health interests of some magnitude for in-state residents. In a functioning democracy, those sorts of policy choices, balancing competing incommensurable goods, belong to the people and their elected representatives. Justice Gorsuch, joined by Justice Thomas, Justice Sotomayor, and Justice Kagan, concluded in Part 4c that the allegations in the complaint were insufficient as a matter of law to demonstrate a substantial burden on interstate commerce, a showing Pike requires before a court may assess the law's competing benefits or weigh the two sides against each other, and that the facts pleaded merely allege harm to some producers' favored methods of operation, which the court found insufficient to state a claim in Exxon Corporation versus Governor of Maryland. Justice Gorsuch, joined by Justice Thomas and Justice Barrett, concluded in Part 4D that petitioners have not asked the court to treat putative harms to out-of-state animal welfare or other non-economic interests as freestanding harms cognizable under the Dormant Commerce Clause, and in any event that the court's decisions authorizing claims alleging burdens on commerce do not provide judges a roving license to reassess the wisdom of state legislation in light of any conceivable out-of-state interest, economic or otherwise. Justice Sotomayor, joined by Justice Kagan, concluded that the judgment should be affirmed, not because courts are incapable of balancing economic burdens against non-economic benefits as Pike requires, 
or because of any other fundamental reworking of that doctrine, but because petitioners fail to plausibly allege a substantial burden on interstate commerce as required by Pike. Justice Barrett concluded that the judgment should be affirmed because Pike balancing requires both the benefits and burdens of a state law to be judicially cognizable and comparable, but the benefits and burdens of Proposition 12 are incommensurable. That said, the complaint plausibly alleges a substantial burden on interstate commerce because Proposition 12's costs are pervasive, burdensome, and will be felt primarily but not exclusively outside California. Justice Gorsuch announced the judgment of the court and delivered the opinion of the court with respect to parts 1, 2, 3, 4a, and 5, in which Justices Thomas, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Barrett joined. An opinion with respect to parts 4b and 4d, in which Justices Thomas and Barrett joined, and an opinion with respect to Part 4C, in which Justices Thomas Sotomayor and Kagan joined. Justice Sotomayor filed an opinion concurring in part, in which Justice Kagan joined. Justice Barrett filed an opinion concurring in part. Chief Justice Roberts filed an opinion concurring in part and dissenting in part, in which Justices Alito, Kavanaugh, and Jackson joined. Justice Kavanaugh filed an opinion concurring in part and dissenting in part. Thank you for listening. If you wish to communicate with the podcast, please email us at scotusdecisions at gmail.com. That's scotusdecisions with an S at gmail.com.